You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Today we're talking about the seven trumpets, and this is based off of Revelation, in particular chapters 8 and 9, but today I'm going to give an overview of chapters 8 through 11, and so since we're moving a bit faster through the book, um, we're only going to really have two other episodes in this book. I'm not going to tell you when those episodes are. Um, I'm going to, because I'm pacing myself with the high schoolers at my church, because we're also going through this book together, I'm probably going to wait to release that. Um, and, and, uh, and just so you know, no, I'm not going to give it away. So, um, today we're talking about the seven trumpets. Last time we were together, we talked about the seven seals and, um, and, and already you're starting to sense a theme because the book loves the number seven. The number seven means completeness. It means perfection. It means this is done. And so we saw the seven seals, which serve to reveal all of history. And now we're looking at the seven trumpets which is the seals recapitulated. We're going to read about a lot of the same things, but from a different perspective um, and to a differing degree. And what, and, and so the scene first opens with the seventh seal. The seventh seal uh, ushers in a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And scholars, commentators, they don't know why there was a silence in heaven for this time. They don't know what, what it means. But it just kind of feels like an ominous calm before the storm kind of thing. And then after the seventh seal comes the first trumpet. And these trumpets also are accompanied with golden bowls, bowls of incense. Um, and actually there's a golden bowl, uh, one golden bowl, that had the, uh, the prayers of God's people mixed with incense. And the moment this thing is hurled to the earth, that's when the plagues start to hit the earth. And, and when we're reading through these plagues, um, we have to understand this is an answer to the prayers of God's people. Um, in chapter 6, verse 10, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, um, I think it was the fifth seal, we saw that there was an altar, and under the altar were the souls of the martyrs who asked God, how long will it be until he comes down and avenges their blood? Well, we don't have to wait for another book of the Bible to get that answer to prayer because it happens right now. Uh, the prayers are, are in the bowl, and they're flung to the earth, and now devastation starts to take place. And as we're, as we're looking at these plagues, we can't help but think about Egypt. This is the same way God treated Egypt. The story goes like this. God picked a guy named Abraham to bless the world and start a family. Abraham had um, a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons started the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, you know, Joseph was their brother. Joseph gets sold into slavery. Um, the scene gets moved down to Egypt because his brothers need to go down for food. Um, and they realize, okay, our brother Joseph is here. And then Joseph dies. And then there is another Pharaoh that doesn't realize, he doesn't recognize who Joseph was. Um, just a little side note, this is the danger of not knowing your history well. You're doomed to repeat it. And this new Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, didn't fear the Lord, and didn't respect the Israelites. In fact, he was scared of the Israelites because they uh, they were overpopulating, he would say. And so, and so he enslaves them. He puts them to work. And the people cry out in bitter pain to God because they're being oppressed. Uh, they're being beaten as they work. They're given very little means 
uh, to produce good work. And so they cry out to God and God says, Hey, I'm God. Uh, and, and, and Moses, you're going to go down and tell the, the Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to strike it with plagues. And it's really interesting in Egypt, the first, uh, I think it was the first five plagues, uh, God says, I'm going to touch Egypt with my finger. And then the last few plagues where things start to die, I think beginning with the livestock, he says, I'm going to strike Egypt with my hand, my whole hand before it was a finger. Now it's my whole hand. And you see this here in the trumpets, water turns to blood, like Moses' first plague on Egypt. Um, There are these demonic um, kind of locust-looking things, and they have a weird description. Like, they have, like, uh, long hair like women, and they can sting people, and and, and this makes people want to die, but they don't, but they can't die, Um, and, and, uh, and, and they're just being tormented from this. And these, these locusts, these creatures, they come up from the abyss, the bottomless pit. Hell, basically. Um, this is a depiction of hell and earth, the, the, the line between hell and earth being very, very thin. Living on earth is almost like living in hell. And what these plagues do is it, it destroys a third of the earth. It destroys a third of the earth. This is not total destruction, I'm going to give you a spoiler, but this is just so that we can track along with the book because it's going to be uh, maybe a while before we get back into Revelation. The trumpets are a third of destruction. The bulls, so you have the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls. The bulls is complete destruction. And so this is God giving his people a chance to repent, a chance to repent. Uh, why do I say this? I say this because of Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. In chapter, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 says this. I'm going to read 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. This is a very heartbreaking verse or set of verses. This lets us know that there are people that will refuse to repent. They hate God and no under and under no circumstance will they ever turn to him. Life can be good and what they're going to say is, wow, I made a good life for myself. If plagues are hitting the earth, they're going to blame God. They're not going to worship God, but the only time they're going to acknowledge God is when something bad happens, and then they're going to blame him. And ultimately, they're not going to turn. This reveals the heart of some unbelievers. I don't want to talk about everybody, but some. There are some of you that are genuinely seeking. You're curious to know about Jesus. And I'm not talking about you. Take the time that you need. Get the answers you need. I'm glad that you're searching. For other people, they are unbelievers because of one of two things. Uh, one, they've never, you know, they, they never read the Bible. They never were a Christian. They never, they never followed Jesus. They never prayed. They never, they never sought God, right? And they are hostile to him because, again, believing in a God in general is just stupid to them. 
Um, and then you have another type of unbeliever that used to believe, but now it doesn't. And in my experience, these are the most hostile people. It's not the people that are unbelievers that we have to be concerned about. It's the people that were believers and then fell away. If you read the book of 1 John, this is the spirit of Antichrist. Someone who, as Peter said, tasted and saw the goodness of the Lord and then rejected it. Oh, that's nothing. That's different than a person that's never experienced this thing to begin with. And so in this is a, a real heart check. Like, would we, would I do that? And I think a good way, you know, would, would I turn away from God? And I, I think a good test right now is just ask yourself, like, as best as I can, how am I, be, how, how am I obeying? Is life good? Am I thanking him for what's good? You know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. God deserves your thanks because everything good comes from him. Everything good comes from him. I'm just going to leave it at that. So we, we go on and um, in, in chapter 10 is a very, uh, it, it feels like a different section. It's because it is. Chapters 10 and chapter 11 could be its own section. I just want to cover it briefly because they're, they're small chapters. So chapter 10, there's another mighty angel. Uh, the first time we saw a mighty angel was in chapter 5 with the first scroll. There's a second scroll now, and he's, he tells John to eat the scroll. And so John, strangely as it sounds, he eats the scroll, and it's sweet going down, but then it's sour in his stomach. And I relate to this. Honestly, this is very practical. Um, I, I, I relate to being a student of the Bible, my, one of my greatest joys in life is studying God's word. And then a second, great, a second joy is teaching God's word. It becomes bitter when the world rejects it. It becomes bitter when you get nasty comments on your Bible studies. It becomes bitter when, when, when the cultural climate is very, very clear that we are anti-Christian and we hate Christ. It, 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 it's, it's, it's hard to keep going. And so this is this describes how the word becomes sour in our stomach, uh, because what the scroll is it's it's the rest of Revelation. It's it's prophecy about more nations and people, and it's not good stuff. Like we're gonna read in chapter seventeen, chapter eighteen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Actually, the first time we read that is in chapter fourteen, and Babylon symbolizes any government that is opposed to God. We're gonna look at that more next time. Um, but you know, John is, is the, the word is sweet to him because God is graciously unveiling the future to him. He is showing John things that, that are going to take place so that he won't be alarmed or as alarmed as people who don't have warning. It, it's sweet. Wow. God is talking to me. Wow. I have the word of God. I I've heard from God. This is great. But then listen, it becomes sour when you tell others. You cannot just hide the word of God in your heart. If you, if, if, if you have the word of God, you need to go tell somebody. And, and when you go tell somebody, that's when you lose friends. That's when stop, people stop listening. That's when people don't like you. That's when you're that Bible thumper. That's when you're that ridiculous person that believes the things that Jesus taught. Wouldn't it just be so much easier if I kept it to myself? It would. But Jesus told me to teach the nations. 
to obey him. And so, no, I can't just be a student, a recipient of God's word and never share it with anybody. And honestly, I'd be depressed if I did. Now, chapter 11 introduces two witnesses. These two witnesses, they're called lampstands. They represent God's people. And we don't know exactly who these two individuals are. Some people say Elijah and Moses because, you know, Moses turns water into blood and Elijah calls down fire from heaven like these two individuals do. But much like Jesus, their life mirrors Jesus. They prophesy for some time. Their prophesying is a source of torture for those that are listening to them. And they kill them. They eventually kill them when, when their ministry is up. And God raises the two witnesses from the dead, snatches them into heaven, just like Jesus. And, and, um, and listen, the world gave, gave gifts, gifts when these people died. They, they refused to bury these two prophets. The world does not like prophets. The world does not like truth tellers. The world does not like, I'll say it, comedians. In our day, comedians are the closest thing to a prophet that we have. They're the closest, one of the closest mediums to a truth teller that we have. This is why they tend to get canceled because they, they pry too much. They tell a little bit of the truth. And, and listen, it's a little bit easier to accept because it's a joke. But the world still doesn't like it. Whether you're joking or whether you're serious, if you're telling the truth, you're a prophet and the world doesn't like you and you better watch your back. That's a weird place to end the uh, episode here, but those that's an overview of chapters 8 through 11, and I hope that you go read it. It's great. It's great. And let me just say this. Chapter 11 is the end of a break. Chapter 11 concludes with the seventh trumpet, and the seventh trumpet ends with the sky being broke open, the cosmos, cosmos being ripped apart. And so... <clears throat> And so this is a part of Revelation that can seem like, wow, the book should end here. But it doesn't. The book is going to recapitulate. And he's, it, the diamond is going to turn yet again, another dimension, another angle. And we're going to see the same story from a different vantage point. Until next time, God bless.